Welcome to this week's edition of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Well, Don, uh, we had a very interesting conversation today with the CEO uh, of Invest in Canada. But before we talk about that, I did want to start with a little story for you. Okay. So about 15 years ago, I was working with DFATE, which was the federal agency in charge with investment attraction. And this was on a Canada-wide project, so it had nothing to do with Atlantic Canada. But uh, one of the staff members came in the room, and he had heard I was from New Brunswick. And he came in and he gave me a lecture. He said, every once in a while, you guys come in from Atlantic Canada, or, or we get some minister or somebody coming in saying, um, uh, you know, we need to do more for Atlantic Canada. And he said, I'm tired of that. He said, when we're out promoting Canada, we're not promoting Moncton or Halifax. We're prov- promoting our assets. We're promoting Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, maybe Calgary. That's what he told me. And so, you, as our listeners will hear in the conversation today, uh, uh, Laurel is taking Invest in Canada in a much more broader uh, direction. She's looking for what is the value proposition in each region of the country, in each province, and working with those areas to try and attract foreign investment. So, I think that's a much better approach. I think this idea of just selling Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, and that's a true story, by the way. Uh, it doesn't serve uh, the federal government that well because the federal government should be representing the entire country. So with that, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, you know, Atlantic Canada has been off the radar for a long time in, in Canada. You know, we, the country stops in Quebec for most most people outside our region, and uh, it's irritating, obviously. Um, but, you know, here's the good news. Uh, you know, we have... We have somebody running a national organization who's working out of Halifax. And uh, that means no matter what happens, we're going to get more attention <laughs> from Invest in Canada because their CEO is working out of this region. And, and by the way, Laurel knows this region really well. She's been here for a long time. She was the CEO of um, Nova Scotia Business Inc. and, um, you know, has a lot of contacts with some of the major uh, employers um, in, in Nova Scotia and beyond. So, you know, that's to our benefit. It's just like the conversation we had with Manette Pasher, who's the CEO of the Canadian Airports Council, you know, working out of Nova Scotia as well. I mean, we have specific issues in the airline industries that she knows of and she may be able to help resolve. So I'm really pleased about that part of our conversation. It was really good. The other thing um, that I think is important to understand is that there's a lot of people doing this kind of work in Canada. Invest in Canada has a specific niche uh, target. Um, they've got a strategy that she talks about uh, where, where they want to, uh, you know, uh, make a difference and, and, and then work on things that transform our economy like EV EVs, as an example. And uh, she told us that, uh, you know, they're looking for investments, foreign investments of at least $50 million or more. Now, not exclusively, but generally speaking. So we're talking about big, big issues, big things. And I think that that's that's really uh, uh, important to understand. Yeah. And I think for listeners that want to understand why we're trying as a country and as a region to attract foreign investment here, she makes a good case for why we should be I think doing that, and even, we even talked about the the thornier issue of corporate incentives and, and providing companies with incentives to move to to Canada. And she, I think, t- made a good case there around the competition. 
So I think there's a lot to be learned in this uh, in this conversation, and I think people will benefit from it. Yeah, just one other point that I wanted to make. Uh, she she mentioned that uh, the impact of foreign direct foreign investment is pretty significant. Uh, the last year where data was available, I think was 2021, where she said, uh, you know, 82 billion dollars were invested by foreign entities into our country. Um, uh, there are 2.5 million Canadians or 13% of the workforce working uh, as a result of foreign uh, investment in our country. So it's a, it plays a big role in our economy. And of course, the thing that I like most about our conversation is that most of that co- investment is not meant to compete with Canadian companies. It's meant to supplement and augment um, those sectors where we need help from the outside. And I think that's really important. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, and it's a little bee in my bonnet. I always got upset when government uh, provided uh, money to my competition, um, and I ended up subsidizing my competition through my taxes. I, I was never very happy about that. So, you know, it's an important element to, to uh, clarify that that's not the case of the work that Invest in Canada is doing. Yeah, it's a key point. She's not trying to attract Walmart stores or competition for local businesses, although they will compete with talent, compete for talent, though. And that's an increasing issue here as we look at uh, tightening labor markets to make sure we have enough staff, enough people. Could I mention one other other thing that I thought was really interesting? You know, and I think people need to understand this. I mean, Canada, what's Canada's value proposition? She came right out. Uh, you know, number one, we have probably one of the most educated uh, workforces in the world. And and not only that, but a growing workforce as a result of immigration. You know, that is the key to the future. Canada is going to lead the world in terms of labor force growth, uh, educated labor force growth. This is a big advantage. And second, and second uh, sort of important issue is that we are a safe haven for uh, foreign investment. You don't have to worry that some dictator is going to come in and nationalize your business, you know. And and she also mentioned one other thing that I thought was really interesting, and I think you can see this happening in the world around us. She called it friendshoring, you know, developing relationships with com- with countries that are friendly and share your values. That That's a direct shot, basically, I think, at China, which is really not a friend of ours, and yet we do a lot of business with them. So, you know, you can see the world starting to line up, uh, you know, where friendly nations do business and the unfriendly ones, you know, we try to avoid. And I think that that, that is probably something that's going to be in our future. Yeah, but I think governments, even in Atlantic Canada, have to learn that lesson that you need to be a stable, predictable environment for investment. Right. And, and uh, we had this issue in New Brunswick with mining, with particularly with natural gas, but we were at the top, one of the top jurisdictions for mining in Canada in the Fraser Institute survey before that sector came along. And we dropped to near the bottom in New Brunswick as a result of the government just completely changing the, its mind right. on mining. Right. And so I think if we're trying to attract international investment, we have to make sure we have, you know, they, if they're going to invest for the long term, we have to have a stable and predictable environment, not only for mining, but for any sector. But I think that's an incredibly important point. So without any further ado, Don... Here's our conversation with Laurel Broughton, the CEO of Invest in Canada. Okay, before we uh, talk about Invest in Canada, we would like you to share with our listeners your personal career path. Where were you born? Uh, Maybe some of your career highlights and how you ended up as CEO of Invest in Canada. 
Well, thank you very much. Um, so it's a pleasure to be here chatting with both of you today. So I was born in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, grew up in Weyburn and Regina, moved to Alberta, uh, spent my childhood in Alberta, moved to Quebec, moved to Ontario, uh, went to university in Ontario, started my career at the Supreme Court of Canada after graduating from law school in Ottawa, uh, and then began practicing law in Toronto. Uh, practiced over 10 years in, in three leading ca Canadian national uh, law firms. And then uh, perhaps I was bit by uh, the political bug or perhaps more accurately tapped on the shoulder of what I consider running. So I did run in the Ontario election in uh, 1999. I didn't win. Uh, it allowed me to go back and practice law for another five years, and I was elected in 2003 and served in government uh, the entire 10 years until 2013 uh, when I made the decision that I I was ready for the next stage of my life and, and stepped away, and that's when we moved to Nova Scotia and have lived here since then. And I was very pleased to take on uh, the tax and regulatory review for the province of Nova Scotia. I think I really... Um, an opportunity that I got a very good insight as to how do you drive economic growth through different policy levers, different actions. Uh, at that point in time, in 2015, I became CEO of uh, Nova Scotia Business Inc. at the time, trade and investment organization. And uh, this past October, became CEO of Invest in Canada. Um, and I've described it as a little bit of stitching my career together and my life together, having lived right across the country and be able to bring the perspective to Ottawa, to an Ottawa-based entity that has a national mandate of the differences across our country. And I really have lived those differences and know what it is like to be in Atlantic Canada, to be in Saskatchewan, to be in Alberta, um, and then to be in the heartland in, in Ontario, where um, certainly, you know, that is a strong machinery um, and having served in that government. So, uh, yes, I, I love it. It's been a, a very busy and hectic time since this past October, uh, but a really wonderful opportunity and an important time for investment in Canada and an important time in our country and in our world to be part of that. So we're going to get into that more, Laurel, uh, in a minute. Uh, but we'd like you to start by telling us what is Invest in Canada. We have a bunch of questions about the industries you're attracting and that kind of thing. But just at a high level, can you tell us what it is? Is it a federal government entity, how it's funded, how many employees do you have, that type of thing? So in Invest in Canada is five years old. It is a departmental corporation within Global Affairs Canada, and we are responsible for um, I, bringing in foreign direct investment into Canada. We're not the only player that does that, uh, but the work that we do is really about identifying, facilitating, uh, bringing the message of the value proposition of Canada out to the fore. We have a large marketing advertising mandate to make people aware of Canada. And then on our investor services team, we do a lot of really um, focused work with clients who are looking to make the decision for Canada. And we bring the players together. We bring the provincial players, the municipal players, all of the federal players together to answer their questions, uh, to make it be as seamless, uh, and for us to win that investment for Canada. Uh, you you have offices uh, in various parts of the country, or maybe you can tell us about the distribution of your offices. Also, a little bit about you know how many people work with Invest Canada, uh, that sort of thing. 
Well, we are a small but mighty team of uh, under 100 people. I would say uh, we vary and we have a number of uh, roles in market right now, but we're certainly less than 100 um, people. We have offices in Vancouver. We've had offices uh, in Calgary and Edmonton. We have a team based in Winnipeg, Regina, our Prairies team, and we have a team in Atlantic Canada, and we have a team at our head office in Ottawa. What I would also say is, and I have encouraged this, and I think the global pandemic encouraged it as well, we've also uh, want to reflect that we are a Canadian organization. And one of my mandates and missions since taking on this role is to say we are pan-Canadian. And so we have people that um, have roles that are sort of head office type roles, but those individuals are not resident in Ottawa. They are distributed across the country. Um, and I really like that because I think that's very important because they bring the lens of Canada to our centralized discussions. So certainly the bulk of our team is Ottawa-based. And if I can just give a little flavor of how we're structured, and I've recently sort of reorganized the structure a little bit. So we have our uh, a national engagement team, people right across the office, right across the country. We have regional directors in parts of the country where I know we need to work harder to land investments. And so we have a regional director focused on Alberta and the North. We have a regional director focused on the prairies, and we have a regional director focused on Atlantic Canada. And that really is part of my goal that we bring the opportunities and the value proposition of the lesser known, perhaps, parts of our country up to our partners in global affairs. So we work with the investment attraction team in Global Affairs Canada, who are positioned all around the world. And my own team is market specific. So I have experts that are focused on Europe, focused on Indo-Pacific. And it's really important for us to put other parts of Canada on the table um, when uh, companies are looking, because they might think the only place that they want to consider going might be Quebec and Ontario. Well, it's our job to say, those are great places, but you might think about Winnipeg. You might think about Halifax. You might think about New Brunswick. And so we really do that in terms of building up that value proposition. And that's been a big part of the work that we've done since I've joined Invest in Canada. Yeah, just to clarify, are you working at a Halifax? I am. I'm sitting here in downtown <laughs> Halifax right now. That's interesting. You know, we, we recently had uh, Manette Pasher on, who is the CEO of the Canada Airport uh, Council. She also works out of Nova Scotia. So it's lovely to have people doing national work out of the, the region. And uh, I'm a big promoter of that personally. So I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yes. I think last time uh, I saw Manette was in the airport. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so I want to just uh, define a little bit more what is meant by foreign direct investment. And I have a bit of a follow-up uh, question on that, but uh, tell us, uh, what, what, uh, what do you mean by foreign direct investments? So foreign direct investment is when a global company uh, chooses to do business in Canada. They might set up brand new operations here for the first time, net new, uh, to us, we may be searching out around the world, look for that entity. Often our focus is on looking for a, you know, a, a multinational organization that can fill a gap 
in our supply chain in the industry that we have. It might be a company who's already here, but they're going to build something new um, and expand their existing footprint or uh, an investment through partnering with a Canadian business. So there's different ways of doing it. But I think for, you know, listeners who are perhaps less familiar, it's about, you know, funds uh, in terms of corporate entities, you know, investing in our country and building something here that Canadian, you know, a company that Canadians will work for, uh, even though it didn't, you know, it didn't as it wasn't a startup from Canada. Right. We recently had the the president of, for North America for Michelin on. It's a really interesting conversation. Very seldom we get to hear from Michelin publicly. Yeah. Well, and I they were talking and, to. Yeah. Go ahead. You know I know Andrew, Andrew very sure. well. I know Andrew very <laughs> well, and and I would say I'm glad you raised that because that's a success story. You know that is yeah. um, a success story where Michelin came here a number of years ago. And how do I know Andrew well? Because we've worked Andrew and I um, and my team at Nova Scotia Business Inc. and the team at uh, you know the Canadian team as well through our partners um, at uh, at ISAD. Um, to make sure that we saw those reinvestments come into Canada. Because I think one of the things that, you know, maybe listeners and, and citizens don't always understand is a company like Michelin is having and is part of an internal competition. You know, they are fighting to see the investments come to their part of the world, just like their colleagues are saying, we want it to be in Mexico. We want it to be back in France. We want it to be in the U.S. And so we do help companies to um, really establish their own national value proposition, because that's what we do every day. So we work with companies who are already here, who are looking to see more investment come into Canada. And, you know, Michelin's investment here has certainly been hugely beneficial for um, Nova Scotia, but it's also been, in, uh, you know, very uh, important for uh, Quebec. I mean, they've invested in operations in Quebec as well. So that's just an example of how you see that spinoff start to happen. Well, as, as you know, Laurel, uh, Michelin recently announced a $300 million expansion. Uh, and we talked about that with Andrew. It's a big deal. Um, and uh, they're using, I think they're using uh, some tax credit uh, uh, from the province and some other money from the federal government to help fund that. But it's still a big investment, uh, and it really uh, it has good long-term uh, importance to Nova Scotia. Uh, let me let me ask you about the services that you would offer companies that are looking to invest in Canada. Can you give us an idea of how you help them? Sure. Um, so our team um, is really serves as the primary point of contact for global companies who are seeking growth opportunities in industries that are going to shape our economy and our society. And what I, I would say is that there are lots and lots of partners across the country working on bringing foreign direct investment in. Where we work at Invest in Canada is on the largest, most significant and transformative investments. So we leave lots of space for our partners in municipalities and provinces, but we're really looking for those transformational investments. And so the Michelin investment that you're talking about is, is you know, very much connected to a sector of key focus for us, which is electric vehicles and the supply chain around electric vehicles, all the way from mining, all the way to mobility. And so that's why this is an exciting 
interesting time right now in foreign direct investment because the opportunity is in front of us to build new industries that will be the industries of the future. And so Michelin, obviously, one of the key things is tires are different for electric vehicles than they are for gasoline vehicles. And that was something when I first was working with Andrew that I certainly didn't know. And so, you know, those are all those key pieces uh, that are uh, that we're working on. And so you're talking about a tax credit. We would work with a company to really understand, uh, you know, this who, who else is where, first of all, often plots of land, electricity availability. How green is that electricity? Are there people that can work for me? What are the incentives that I can get? What's the tax regime? All of those pieces to answer their questions, to be able to make a decision uh, that is positive for a part of our country to see that that employment um, and that job creation come into their community. Well, you know, there's a lot of intersections from the conversations that we're having. It's just really interesting. Let me give you an example. You, you talked about the, uh, the the need for uh, ac- to access uh, green um, energy. Uh, we had a really interesting podcast with uh, Denis Caron, the uh, CEO of Beldun, Port of Beldun in New Brunswick, who uh, you know their their dream is to become an energy green energy center. They have a port, which for anybody doing manufacturing would be of interest, and that's the sort of thing I'm I'm, I'm imagining that would be uh, an asset that you could bring to the table for people looking for that kind of access to energy on the one hand, right? Yeah, absolutely. So our priority areas are really um, so. First of all. Uh, we really look for the best companies around the world to invest uh, that are really going to help us um, lift our game and respond to needs that exist in our economy and continue to put us out front. So our priority sectors are green uh, technology, innovative green technologies, mining critical minerals, manufacturing and EV batteries, um, growing our agricultural legacy. In particular, we're very focused right now on alternative protein. How do we see alternative proteins uh, be manufactured in Canada? Uh, And what advances can we see in uh, life sciences and biotechnology as some key uh, key examples? So it's really very forward-looking, very focused on sustainability and what we need to do as a country uh, to play our part to build the world of the future for us here in Canada, but for around the world. Because one of the key pieces of our value proposition is our connectivity to the world as a result of our free trade agreements. We know we don't have the biggest uh, population and we don't have the biggest home market, but through our free trade agreements, we're connected to 1.5 billion consumers around the world. And so our message is come here, build it here, have a great workforce, have clean electricity, have, uh, you know, a, a, a very uh, business strong environment, and then sell that product in Canada, but around the world as well. So I just wanted to get a little crisper on that definition, Laurel. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're not trying to attract Walmart retail stores. And I think when, when some people here attracting companies to Canada, they worry that you're actually attracting competitors to local businesses. So can you clarify, you've talked about some of the sectors, but these are mostly 
companies that are looking to develop what North American markets or global markets from Canada. Can you clarify the difference there? Or maybe you are trying to talk Walmart. Maybe yeah. you can just clarify that for us. So our, our sort of um, base, I guess, of the investment size that we're looking for is north of $50 million. So we are higher than 50 million, what we would be looking for. I would, I, I caveat that to some extent, as I've just told you that I've got a team focused on Alberta and the North. And my key focus is, is it transformative? Is it impactful? I fully recognize that a smaller investment in a part of our country that is uh, less populated uh, would be impactful. And uh, so, you know, we don't stay hard and firm on that. But I think that just gives you a picture, like $100 million investments, $50 million. I mean, that's what we're looking for. And it's really part of a large scale operation that will uh, benefit our communities in a way that we don't have. So I use, uh, you know, Michelin is a great example of that type of investment. Um, another one would be Marshall Aerospace who has come into Moncton, New Brunswick in the past, uh, in the past years. Um, you know, they, uh, it's a maintenance facility and new land systems facility, and uh, they're going to be operational by the end of 2025. So that's a, a great global player. AstraZeneca just made a significant reinvestment in Mississauga um, to establish a rare disease hub and expand clinical trials Uh over 500 million being invested there with 500 scientific and high-tech jobs. So that's another example. And then on the sort of more traditional energy out in, in Edmonton, we have Air Products as a, as a great example, who's going to build out their new net zero hydrogen energy complex, uh, 1.3 billion invested to be invested for a total of 2,500 jobs. So that just gives you a flavor of these are like, we are looking around the world for the best best in class and to get them here to Canada um, and to do something that is transformative both in that community, but in a bigger sense for Canada and for the planet. I wonder if I could just uh, build off that for a second. You know, um, we have uh, uh, Canada's... Uh, uh, ocean super cluster, uh, basically working full time and uh, and focused uh, largely on this region. Uh, there's uh, plenty of opportunity there, I'm sure, and it needs lots of investment and and, and players. And we also have, I think, the opportunity, and uh, at least I'm hopeful that we become a hydrogen uh, center. Uh, in Canada. We've already got three projects uh, that have been sort of approved and in the early, very early stages. But but are you doing any work on green energy opportunities that exist in our region or, or the ocean sector specifically? So, well, I was one of the keynote speakers at the uh, Hydrogen Global Summit in Rotterdam, where all three of those uh, projects were on the ground uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in the Netherlands. So, you know, those would be key examples of very transformative files, uh, you know, working with the provinces, Atlantic Canada, to the extent that they, 
hydrogen is a key part of what we're doing. And some of that has spurred, if you think back, Invest in Canada was integrally involved um, to the when the chancellor visited from Germany uh, before my time at Invest in Canada. But that is where this started. So that is a great example of the role that we can play to be essentially a fire starter in some respects, you know, to a, a catalyst to say, listen, we signed this agreement was signed. Canada is going to provide this hydrogen. Who who's going to get this ready? And then we work behind the scenes to support those companies should they need it. Uh, similarly, next thing we will pivot to is, well, what kind of supply chain do you need to get that mm -hmm. built? Can we build mm -hmm. electrolyzers here? What are what's the equipment? What do you need? And, you know, when I was in Rotterdam, I sat down with the premier of Newfoundland to talk about how can I help you? How can my team help you? And our teams work really closely together and they are ready to go on hydrogen and want to you know, see that as part of the, the economic momentum for their province. And we're going to be right there with them. It's great to see you having that uh, regional and provincial focus. I think that's uh, that's it's really great. All parts of the country have different strengths and have different opportunities for FDI. I was going to ask you about examples of companies that you've attracted here, but you gave us a list. Uh, so maybe I'll just turn it back to Don to ask his next question. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the, one of the questions would be, why should we be in the business of attracting companies to Canada? You know, um, you know, there's some concern, obviously, about bringing in companies that compete with our own companies for local business and workers. Uh, you know, shouldn't we be helping our, our own companies grow? Uh, you know, how do you respond to those kinds of uh, concerns? Sure. So when I was at Nova Scotia Business Inc., we had both sides of the house. We did export development and investment attraction. And so obviously it's that export development side that helps companies expand. And obviously there's tons of work happening in the startup space. And there's a lot of great people across the economic development spectrum doing that work. That's not what we do at Invest in Canada. We have a very you know, tight niche, which is really the hard and heavy lifting to get those transformative investments. But what I would say is that the businesses benefit by large uh, multinational companies coming into their community who then they can be part of the supply chain, who they can learn from, who they can, uh, who can help drive innovation. So why do we want FDI? 2.5 million Canadians work for global companies operating in Canada. So that's one reason. 2.5 million jobs are tied to FDI. Um, so, you know, that's one out of every eight Canadians depends directly on FDI for their livelihood. FDI reflects 13% of employment in the country and contributes 15% to the GDP. In 2021, just to give a figure, it was a 15-year high in terms of global uh, company investment into Canada. They invested $82 billion in 736 projects across Canada. We're just putting the final touches on our 2022 FDI report that will be out very soon. Uh, and I can tell you that it also has very strong um, impressive numbers and significant dollars uh, invested last year in 2022. So it's very meaningful in terms of the impact on the Canadian economy. Um, and those companies not only bring capital and investment, but they bring knowledge, 
They bring global connectivity. They drive innovation. They have high productivity levels. So it's all things that spur and drive our economy that are really important for us to be connected to. Uh, just a, a, another question. You raised, uh, you know, you said that uh, Invest Canada is looking to support the EV um, sector in our country. Uh, obviously, there's been a couple of big announcements recently with Volkswagen and Stellantis about uh, battery uh, plants. Uh, uh, were, was Invest Canada directly involved with those two files, by the way? So we were very, very active um, with for example, from the early days of LG Stellantis, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've done the site tour at the site that's being constructed. And those early days of helping international companies make decisions about where they should go. I would say that's a key piece of the puzzle that we do. Where is there a site available? Making the connections to the municipality, to the province, being that concierge service and bringing those pieces together. No, you know, I don't for a minute underestimate the role that others play in this, but we at Invest in Canada play a significant role because my team, you know, I would, I can, you know, I can picture uh, Jenny, who's who's really has a connectivity. She's on our Korea desk, uh, you know, working, but she has very deep relationships with LG and that has been really important. Our team has very close relationships with a number of global companies that we're working with. And that's really important because when you're trying to figure out Canada, you you need a phone number. You need to have somebody you can talk to on the phone and and ask these questions. And then we say, what are the barriers? Okay, let's, we're going to go find you answers. Can we open doors? Let us see what we can do. So we're not the incentive provider. We're not negotiating that dollar amount, but we're the solutions provider, perhaps stitching together and trying to resolve the issues that at any moment uh, can be a barrier to that investment. Sometimes I describe it to, um, you know, folks that I'm talking about that my team is kind of like the guard has the guardrails at any moment, something can go right off the rails and we just try to get it pushed back on and going straight forward again so that we can ultimately see it cross the finish line. You know, another interesting intersection, and it's based on what you said about mining. We, uh, we've had a couple of mining uh, focused uh, podcasts. And obviously, there are challenges uh, on the mining sector in terms of regulation and, and streamlining the process. We're going to need a lot more critical minerals, as you know, uh, if we're going to achieve uh, net zero. Um, and, I, you know, I always wondered, you know, uh, why battery plants are not closer to sources of minerals. Like if you think about Newfoundland and Labrador as an example, or the North Shore of Quebec, which has a lot of minerals, or even northern New Brunswick, uh, why aren't those regions uh, considered for, maybe it's, they're too small, I don't know, but is there any, any, any sense of trying to make the pitch about being closer to the supply of minerals? Well, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the federal government, so we line up our strategies with those, you know, strategic priorities for the federal government. So the mines Mm -hmm. to mobility strategy is sort of, you know, from the getting it out of the ground to having it be in a vehicle or having it be in a battery or having it be in a magnet that might be what turns um, uh, a wind turbine. I mean, lots of uses for critical minerals. So you're absolutely right. I mean, I think there is a real focus on bringing this to, uh, 
you know, right from end to end. And I don't think anybody has rose colored glasses on about how much work we have to do. Um, so another role that I think Invest in Canada can play and does play is identifying from the close relationship that we have with clients where some of those barriers and concern, concerns exist. And, and as you know, from the tax and regulatory work that I've done, I've spent a lot of time digging into, you know, how we could reform our regulatory structure to have it be, you know, still very protective, absolutely protective, but easier for business to maneuver and understand. And that's a piece that we play too in terms of giving clarity, explaining, making those introductions, but also, you know, saying this is what we're hearing from our clients and they're not understanding or this is going very slow. So I'm not saying we control the policy levers, but I think we can be a source of information and we are. So, um, Laura, I wanted to ask you about a, maybe a thorny subject, the, the issue of corporate incentives or, or providing companies with either direct subsidies or tax breaks or some other um, incentive to move to a specific jurisdiction has been in the news lately, particularly as it relates to these competitive sectors such as automobile manufacturing. We know that U.S. has uh, been doling out billions and billions in incentives to attract EV plants. I just read that uh, Germany has agreed to invest about uh, $11 billion into a $33 uh, billion dollar, um, semiconductor plant in that country. So these are, these are massive projects. Of course, we've had a few examples here in Canada as well. I guess from your perspective as kind of the chief executive officer sitting over top of FDI attraction, how should Canadians be thinking about incentives? Should we be competing with other countries when it comes to these kinds of tax breaks and government incentives? So I would, I would highlight two things. One, we have in front of us a generational opportunity to be part of building industries that will be here into the future. We have industries some of them are industries perhaps of the past, for example, automotive based on, you know, diesel and gasoline. Uh, but if we want the future industry, we've got to be part of securing that new industry to make those investments. It is um, highly, highly competitive out there. Everybody wants to see those new industries come into their part of the world. And uh, we need to compete to be able to see those jobs good quality jobs into the future. Um, I think we, we need to look at the large um, economic benefits of those opportunities. I mean, it's estimated that um, the recent Volkswagen investment, the overall impact of it will be over $200 billion of, of overall investment. So listen, as I said, we are not the ones at the table negotiating the incentive packages. We would be identifying how it works. We would be talking about the tax credits. Um, and, you know, I think we need to look at the big picture and recognize that, um, you know, it is, it is, I can't tell you how competitive it is out there. It is so competitive. It is, um, we do well, we do not lead with incentives. We talked about all the other great things that Canada has to offer, but we won't be in the game and be competitive uh, if there is not something that responds uh, to what is being put on the table in other jurisdictions around the world. And we want those jobs to be here. Um, and so that I think that's really what Canadians uh, and listeners need to understand. 
Um, so I've been around a fairly long time. I started my career in the early 90s in economic development. And it seemed at that time there was this real push at opening up markets, more, more trade flows, greater investment flows, even, even more uh, flows of people and talent uh, to really try to maximize um, economic output and, and global GDP. And for about, I don't know, 25, 30 years, that was a very uh, successful way. We, see, we saw countries like China uh, take off. Lots of countries in South America have done very well and so on. And we've done quite well in Canada as well. But it just seems to me in the last few years with Trump and others, and it started even earlier maybe in Europe, there's been this pushback against this freer trade and freer investment. And I just want to ask you a question about that. How would you characterize the global business investment environment these days? Are, are you seeing countries pushing back and not wanting to forge these trade routes? You talked about our free trade agreements. That's, that's very, very important. But how, do, how would you characterize the global environment right now for, for um, a trade, in, a trade and investment? So, yes, I mean, I think we do need to lead with that we have 15 free trade agreements covering 51 countries. So when you look at that, you'd say, yeah, trade is good. Com countries want to have free trade and they want to have it with Canada. And Canada really stands out as a jurisdiction that has that level of global connectivity through its free trade agreements. That being said, there's no doubt that the past year uh, and so there's been, you know, very pandemic, Ukraine war, geopolitical tensions, there has been challenges that have, are impacting what's happening. Again, I would say Canada is, um, you know, coming out of that on the other side well, because you would hear the conversation about friendshoring. We want to do business with those who are like-minded to us. We want to do business where we know there's no conflict. If you think about critical minerals, we are a country that has, you know, all of the critical minerals, I, I believe 41 of them, I think that that might be being sought and certainly the, the you know, the most prominent six. Um, and we don't have the, the challenges that exist in many of the other countries where the critical minerals might be being mined. So I think we're seeing um, respect for Canada with our rules-based global trade and investment climate, with a stable business climate, with a strong environmental regime and track record, with a great workforce, and with a government who is open to trade and um, is open to say, come to Canada and benefit from the agreements that we've negotiated around the world, make your product and sell it around the world. So we feel strong. Listen, I've been privileged in the last... Um, you know, number of months to pretty much travel all around the world, uh, really literally uh, across the country of Canada and across the globe. And Canada is well received um, and we are viewed as a good partner. And that I think is really what uh, business that that's that's very impactful when businesses are making decisions. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Laurel, that uh, the competition is pretty fierce for foreign direct investments. Uh, who are the big big competitors to Canada right now? I mean, obviously everybody is, but you probably have a handful that you, you consider your biggest competitors. Who are they? Well, so it's very interesting because the U.S. is our biggest source of global investment, but it's also our greatest uh, competitor. 
if you think about what's transpiring right now as we go to build up our electric vehicle supply chain, um, that is an integrated uh, auto sector is with the U.S. And they equally want every facility that we are trying to get in Canada, there is a state that wants that facility as well. Um, so I'd say that that's just a dynamic that Canadians might not know. Mm. And, 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 and it, when you're pitching Canada, what is the big value proposition that you're pitching? So when we're pitching Canada, we start with our workforce. We have the world's most educated workforce. 62% of Canadians between the ages of 25 and 54 have graduated from post-secondary uh, educational institutions. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, very fast growing populations among G7 nations. And so our workforce is expanding to meet those employers needs. So our workforce is key. Um, the experience uh, that our uh, workforce has when it comes to um, being educated in science, technology, STEM talent, 4.8 million STEM graduates. STEM graduates are going to be needed for what we are trying to build for the future. So that's key. Um, our immigration programs. Canada is open to immigration, and I don't know, as a Canadian, that's something that I'm very, very proud of, um, including the global skills strategy and a very robust international student uh, strategy as well. So that does set us apart from other jurisdictions around the world. And again, it's about the people. Um, you talked about the super cluster, and I would say that also is um, part of it. Um, you know, the global innovation clusters, the ecosystems that are driving innovation, that's also part of our value proposition. Certainly, if we would be speaking to a company that was connected to the ocean industry, we would be talking about uh, the super cluster. Recently, I was in Saskatchewan and met with folks leading the protein uh, global innovation cluster. And as I said, we're working very closely on uh, alternative protein. So all of that uh, is, is part of the conversations that we're having. We talked about the free trade agreements. Um, I think the stability of Canada is also uh, something that is really important that we highlight and we do. Um, you know, there's many things, but then I think the last thing I would say is um, the world is, um, you know, very cognizant of the impact on our planet. And so environmental social governance with perhaps an added eye at the end of Indigenous is, is becoming a conversation point around the world. Um, we have a good track record on that. Um, we have strong governance. We, we recognize that. We are a country where if you're going to measure your ESG impact, Canada is a good place to do that from. Mm. Yeah, those are all great points. Uh, our, now, our, for, our, our podcast has, is focused on economic development in Atlantic Canada, as you're probably aware wanted to ask uh, how Invest in Canada interacts with uh, provincial and local governments. Can you give us a, some maybe uh, good examples of, of the work that you're doing currently? Sure, sure. Uh, so I can think to uh, some opportunities uh, that I can't name but are live uh, where we would partner with Halifax Partnership as an example hmm. to say, listen, Halifax is the place for you. How could, you know, let's answer your questions. Let's look for sites. Let's so we would work very closely with Halifax Partnership, uh, Cape Breton Partnership, if the opportunity were presenting itself in Cape Breton, um, and with the provincial entities. So I will spend um, some time this 
summer uh, in Prince Edward Island, working with the the team, the partners in Prince Edward Island. Uh, as I already talked a little bit about Newfoundland, uh, New Brunswick is on the agenda. And so that is my team out of Atlantic Canada, uh, you know, works every single day in the four Atlantic provinces, um, really looking for opportunity. Um, and as I said, um, we have to work harder and we have to be really creative. And so uh, we really look for to help uh, the jurisdictions identify their value proposition in a really clear and concise way. And then we bring them the knowledge um, or share the knowledge that we gain internationally and gain from clients who what are what are clients looking for right now? What are the, the pieces where you can set yourself apart in one way? I think about the Atlantic growth strategy, which I would have been part of when I was at Nova Scotia Business Inc. Um, site in, to be investment ready, site ready. That is a key uh, a key factor right now. If you don't have any sites that are close to ready or available, an opportunity might not even be able to consider your part of Atlantic Canada. So I think that's uh, you know that we did that collective work together on the Atlantic Growth Strategy uh, really does help Atlantic Canada communities be ready to receive those investments. Uh, just a quick follow up, um, like you, you've lived in the region for a long time, you know the region as well as anybody. What 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 is our value proposition right now in Atlantic Canada? So our value proposition in Atlantic Canada, I would say one, we have to, it is different in different parts of Atlantic Canada. Every community sure. has its own unique, but I would say a key part, again, educated workforce. We, um, you know, have talked about this for a long period of time. Here in Atlantic Canada, we have universities and students who come from around the globe and across the country. And when they were asked on exit interviews, would they stay in Atlantic Canada? They said yes if there was a job here for me. And I think in the past number of years, um, Atlantic Canada did very well. Um, we had our bumps, but we did well uh, in the early days of the global pandemic, for sure. And that drew attention up to a place where people uh, care about each other and made decisions to make sure it was safe and people moved into Atlantic Canada. So we have, you know, those are key pieces, that, that workforce availability um, and that it is a place that, that individuals do want to move to from across Canada and around the world. So if you're an employer and you're saying, should I build this in Atlantic Canada? Can I get my workforce? Of course, you look at who's here, but who could be here? Who would want to be here and come and work for you? And if you talk, spoke to Andrew, I mean, Michelin um, for many, many years has been able to attract people to live in the communities where their factories are because they're great jobs that you can raise your family on. And so that's really the type of jobs that we are looking to bring in and invest in Canada as well. So we just have a couple of questions left uh, in our interview today. Um, and I just want to dig a little bit deeper on that value proposition because you do work with all areas of the country and communities. Um, you talked about investment readiness earlier. Can you tell us a little bit more about how these communities can strengthen their value proposition? Is that about identifying available land? You talked about people attraction. If you were giving a speech to the local economic development folks down here, how would you tell them to boost their value proposition specifically for foreign investment? Yeah. So the one thing that I always say uh, is that 
we also need to recognize uh, where we can compete. So I would encourage uh, various parts of the country to be very specific of, you know, to think about what they're looking for, because we can't be all things to all people. And we discredit ourselves if we say, oh, we're the place for you when we really are not. So focus on what you're looking for, whether it is, um, if I think about the uh, you know, the prairies and alternative proteins. If I think about, um, you know, battery manufacturing, what do they need? They need a strong workforce. They need a fairly large site. They need clean electricity because we are going to measure, you know, the carbon used to build these, uh, these batteries. So we need clean electricity. Um, and so that is uh, you know, if you think about hydrogen in Atlantic Canada, the opportunity to you know, use electricity generated by onshore wind and eventually perhaps offshore wind, that is a key part of the value proposition. So, you know, you'd be talking about that capacity that we have uh, ultimately for offshore wind in Atlantic Canada that's, that is not utilized at this point in time. So it's, it's all of those various pieces together. And I think the last piece is... Um, you know, engagement and leadership um, at a provincial level is critical. Uh, the fact that, you know, you have the Premier of Newfoundland at the Hydrogen Conference saying, come and talk to me, I'm here, I, I want to see this industry grow. Uh, you know, those are meaningful things. So a level of engagement across the country um, and, and, some, and creative thinking. And so, you know, my team, if we generate leads that are not transformative in nature, what I want Atlantic Canadians to know is we don't do nothing with them. We give them to, to our partners and we say to a city or a province, here, we've heard about this opportunity. It's not one that we're going to work on, but we wanted to let you know about it. And so we do that kind of triaging work to make sure that uh, everyone uh, knows about the opportunities that exist. I guess the final question, this is probably a hard one to answer, but obviously the activities that you're undertaking today, you hope will show up in ten tangible benefits in the future. But uh, what metrics uh, does Invest in Canada use to uh, kind of um, look at its performance? Do you have specific uh, metrics that you're using? So currently in our business plan, we have metrics that are very um, deal-based, number of investments. Um, but I do think that that is a sphere that my team and I are committed to spending some time on uh, in the next year about how can that, how could we put other layers on that, on that measure, a sustainability lens, a, uh, you know, a measure of transformation. So you're right, it's a complicated question. And, uh, you know, it's a work in progress. But I think what, what I, you know, what the message I want to leave Atlantic Canadians with is we are really looking into the future. We don't have, uh, you know, uh, a fortune telling ball, but we are trying to look into the future and say, where do we want to be? We want to get, as Wayne Gretzky said, you know, skate to where the puck's going to be. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're trying to do that with the um, companies and the opportunities that we're seeking out with how we're creating our value proposition and helping um, identify how we get ready and thinking to how we measure in a modern world, what our environmental, what our sustainability, what our carbon impact, all of those things to really say, this is the place that we want to be and what is our impact. Um, so I guess I would leave to say my goal is to measure my team's impact um, in a very meaningful way uh, because we don't work on 
every deal, but we work on ones that are, are really game changers for the communities in which they land. Well, you know, David and I uh, have been doing this podcast now for over two years, and uh, we are incredibly optimistic about what's happening in Atlantic Canada. You probably have seen the changes over the last very short period of time. There's never been a better time to invest in Atlantic Canada, right? And uh, and, and we're glad that you're working on the case, Laurel, to help uh, uh, bring uh, that investment to us. So we'd like to thank you for joining us on the Insights Podcast today. We certainly wish you well in your efforts to bring a global investment in, into Canada. And we look forward to hearing more about your work in the future. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Laura. Take care. Take care. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.